Thanks, Ray. I really enjoyed that, brother. Um, actually, in the psalm we're going to talk about this morning, um, we, were, we are all assured of getting to heaven, those of us who are in the Lord. Um, God will make sure. We'll see that this morning. As we look at Psalm 121, you can turn there if you like. I, I struggled this week on where to go. Uh, sometimes as a preacher, you, uh, you have three or four things swirling around in your head and you don't know exactly where the Spirit is leading you. But I did finally hear him uh, halfway through the week and uh, it was like God was saying, just remind my people what you told them last week. Just remind them. Say it again. So I'm not going to preach the exact same sermon, but we are going to go to Psalm 121 and remember who our keeper is and our helper and our protector and our guard. This is a beautiful psalm. This is a beautiful psalm for all of us. It's like the Lord said, you know, just say it one more time that I'll never leave my people. I'll never forsake my people and tell them one more time that, that I am for them. And if I am for them, then no one could possibly ever be against them. Amen. It was like he said, just say it again. Say it one more time. I was ready to go to another scripture and the Lord wouldn't leave me alone on it. So here we are. We're going to be in Psalm 121. Two weeks ago, in John 1, we saw that only, with only a handful of words, Jesus called five men to follow him, and they all did. And I, I always have to say this. I always want to be clear on this. I think you guys are well taught. You, you know this, that discipleship is not some higher level of Christianity. It is Christianity. Now, if you love Christ, if you're in Christ, if you've been born again, you're a disciple. It's right to talk about yourself this way. You're a slave, right? Doulos. I think it's the most common, the most common uh, Greek word used for Christian in the New Testament is doulos. It's, don't tell Brad that I was using the Greek because he knows I'm incompetent. He knows I'm incompetent at the Greek. Uh, every once in a while I can get a word out. But it's slave. We're slaves. We're disciples. You know, this is not something we do part-time. This is who we are all of the time. So we watched them go with Jesus, and we asked the question, how? Who remembers how they did it? Anybody remember how they did it? They believed. They just simply believed. It sounds simple, doesn't it? But it changes everything. If you really believe. If you really believe in that eternity-altering kind of way, that I no longer belong here, I'm on my way, I'm on the, the, the pilgrimage to the new heaven and the new earth. Last week we tried to talk about why they believed and what, what, what it was that actually, actually that they did believe. What did they believe? They believed everything about Jesus. They did believe He was the Messiah. They believed He was the Holy One of Israel. They believed He was the prophesied One. Of course, this is no question for me. I go with Him. Just like it's no question for you. Whatever He calls you to, I'm in. Right? I'm in. I'm in. They were in. They believed everything 
about him. We talked about this last week, and I don't want you to misunderstand me. I'm not trying to make light of the difficulties of this life. They are real. But based on our inheritance, they are mere details. They are details in which we glorify Christ. Right? Good day, hard day, fat day, lean day, day of blessing, day of trial. doesn't really matter. It really doesn't matter. These are details. I'm going to glorify Christ in it. Right? And again, I'm not trying to be callous. I'm not trying to discount the, the, the very real trauma we experience here. But really, at the end of the day, how do I glorify my Lord and Savior in this? Right? How do I do it? How can He be glorified in it? Last week we drove home uh, the, the reason that we can absolutely abandon ourselves to Jesus. Why? Because He has abandoned Himself to us. He has made a supreme commitment to us. Nobody gets between God and His people, right? No, nobody can, right? Nobody can get between God and His Elect. He's made a total and unqualified commitment to us, which we talked about last week, elicits and drives our commitment to Him. Because He's all in, we are as well. We talked about the, the, this license and freedom that we have. It flows from who God is. We talked about God's person. He says He's God and that there are no other gods. He says, I don't know of any. What was that? Isaiah I think 44.8. I don't know of any other gods. There's no God to get between me and my people. It can't happen. It's impossible. It will not occur. So we're free. We don't have to be afraid. Do we fear Satan? Of course not. He's a defeated foe. He's on a leash. We don't fear him. Our God is God. We talked about God's power. He simply speaks trillions of galaxies into existence. And He brings this power to bear in the lives of His people. Right? His person and His power. Because of God's person and His power, we can be fearless. We can radically go with Christ. And lastly, we spent most of our time last week talking about His promise. He's told us, and we talked about this, He's for us, Romans 8, 31. And that He'll never leave us, and He'll never forsake us, Hebrews 13, 5. He's made these promises, and quite a few more. They're all through the Scripture, Old Testament and New Testament. And I'm just going to review a few of them because I love them. I love, to, I love to remind you that these are the promises God has made to His people, right? And I want you to be encouraged, and I want you to walk out of here ready to do your job. What is our job? Being disciples, right? Speaking the truth. That's our job. Speaking the truth to those in our orbit. I love 2 Chronicles 16, 9. God says, for my eyes move to and fro. He's on the lookout, right? He's on the lookout throughout the earth that I may strongly support. Okay, this is not passive with God. He strongly supports His people. What does that mean? What does that mean from a being who's omnipotent? What does that mean if God is, what, strongly supporting you? You have nothing to fear. 
You have nothing to fear. God goes on, I strongly support those whose heart is completely mine. And listen, I just want you to let these words wash over you. I'm going to read a couple of more promises that we talked about last week. Just let the words wash over you. Just hear them, really hear them. Take them to heart. Understand that's who you are in the world. You and God are always a majority. Isaiah 41.10, God says, do not fear. Why? I am with you. Do not anxiously, anxiously look about you, for I am your God. And again, there are no other gods. I'm the only one. I will, God says, strengthen you. Surely, he says, surely I will help you. Surely I will help you. And I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Now, that'll get you through the day, amen? I, mean, I don't know. I don't know where you are, but that'll get you through the day. You know, we need to be memorizing some of these promises, right? Shame on us. And hey, I know, I know the human emotion. I know the, the roller coaster sometime. We all, we're all on that roller coaster sometime. But listen, we can, we can preach to ourselves and we can fight through the downside. We can because of who he is and what he has said to us. You know, over in Matthew 6, Jesus says, don't be anxious. I think he says it five or six times in about ten verses. Don't be anxious about your life and what you shall eat and what you shall drink and what you shall wear. Don't be anxious tomorrow, about tomorrow. Why? I'm God and I'm holding you. I'm holding you. And I'm going to work all my good pleasure in and through you. We visited with a young woman, a very young woman, who's diagnosed with cancer yesterday. And that's the thing, that's the thing I wanted to say to her, you know. God's going, to, God's going to work His good pleasure in you. And He will. Isn't that what you really want? Isn't that what you want more than anything? That God will work His good pleasure through you? You know, the rest are details. I'm t I, I, and again, I don't want you to misunderstand. I'm not making light of the things we, we struggle with. But they're really details. Compared to glorifying God in our lives. You remember what Jesus, how Jesus finishes that Matthew 6 text? He says, he says, seek me first and what? Seek the kingdom first and then what? I'll take care of all the rest of it. You know, we got one thing to remember. One thing to remember. Seek the kingdom first. I got the rest of it, Jesus says. Love that text. Love that text. We talked a little bit about last week, Jeremiah 32, 40 and 41. He says, I will make with them an everlasting covenant. This is the new covenant. He's talking in the Old Testament here. But we understand we've got a new covenant. I will not turn away from doing them good. I'll put the fear of me in their hearts that they may not turn from me. Now there's the, the, there's the big blessing. Oh, health, wealth, and prosperity? I don't think so. There's the big blessing. He's going to put uh, the fear of him in our hearts that we won't ever turn away. We'll never turn away from God. His people will never turn away. God says, I will... I love this. I will rejoice in doing them good. It makes God happy to do good in our lives. 
And then he says, you know, with all my heart and all my soul. He's all in. He's all in to bless you. You say, well, Jim, I got the cancer diagnosis. Well, what's God going to do in the cancer diagnosis? How will God be honored and glorified in the cancer diagnosis? Well, that's up to Him. Sometimes we die, sometimes we, we're, we're healed. We don't, we don't have any claim on, on when God's going to heal us and when He's not. That's His business. We can cry out for healing, of course, and we do. But how will you be honored in this, Lord? How will you be honored? God says, I'll do good with all my heart and soul. And even if you got the cancer diagnosis, even if the doctor says the C word, God's, he's still on duty. He's still on duty. And of course, Zephaniah, I love Zephaniah 317. The Lord your God is in your midst. He's a warrior who gives victory. He's our warrior. You know, it's that song that the, the Old Testament Jews, uh, the Exodus Jews sang at the Red Sea. He is a warrior. And he's a warrior for his people. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will renew you in His love. He will exalt over you with shouts of joy. I love these promises of God. C.S. Lewis is right. And I'm paraphrasing. The average Christian needs to be reminded more often than he needs to be instructed. So, that's what we're doing this morning. I'm simply reminding you of all of these promises God has made to His people. And how really we're Batman in the world, okay? It's kind of a joke. With my Bible study men over in Milan, we, we, the joke was we're Batman. We, you know, Yahweh's with us. Yahweh's with us. We will win every struggle. Even if in the eyes of men we don't, in the eyes of God we will. We are invincible because He is. And again, He will do all His good pleasure in our lives. We can trust Him with that. You know, over the years I've had so many young people say, well, I don't know what God's will is. And I said, well, listen, just do what's in front of you and you can trust Him to bring it to you, right? Just be faithful in what's in front of you. Just, just put your hands on what's in front of you and if, if God has some big thing for you to do, He'll bring it to you, right? You can trust Him for that. He's not going to hide it from you. You don't have to wring your hands about that. God is faithful. God is faithful. Listen, with some of these promises and many, many more in the Bible, we should never consider for one moment shrinking back from radically following Jesus Christ. Whatever that looks like in your orbit. And it's different for each of us. We should never consider such a thing. So it's always John 1. We're no different than John and Andrew and Peter and Philip and Nathaniel. You know, we either really believe or we're playing some kind of contemptible game, which God detests. We're not playing a game. We really believe. We really believe in an eternity-altering kind of way, which obviously will alter the life. It always alters the life. If we are truly believing. And let me just say this, and I know I hammer this sometimes. I probably don't bring it up as much as I like, simply because it's so prevalent. And it's so embarrassing. 
and it's so disgusting and it makes me want to drive a nail in my eye. That's right, Joe. The prosperity preachers are liars. They're liars. They're servants of Satan. They're trying to get your eye off of Christ and look at the blessings of Christ. Right? It's wicked. It's evil. These guys make me crazy. This is Satan's best con. The prosperity gospel is not only false, it's just too small for us. It doesn't, it doesn't get me jazzed. Now I'm jazzed about Christ, right? But come on. Really? It's just too small. Now, if, if, we've, if we've believed like, like those disciples in John 1, right? If we've, if we've believed like that, we know life can't be about getting stuff. We know it's about getting God. It's about getting more of God. That's what it's about. That's what life has to be about. The rest are details. I'm going to get more of Christ in my cancer. Right? How does Piper say it? Don't waste your cancer. Don't waste it. Get more of Christ in it. And if you're on top of the world, you know, <laughs> I don't know how to even describe that. But everything's perfect in your life. You wouldn't change a thing. It's all perfect. Magnify Christ in it, right? Be his mouthpiece in it. You're his, you're, 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 you're his mouthpiece on the mountaintop and you're his mouthpiece in the valley. These are details. These are details. We're going to honor Jesus Christ, right? We're going we're gonna to lift him up. The born-again soul simply must have Christ and more of Him. One of the first sermons I preached when I came in last year was Psalm 117. The, the way I summarize Psalm 117, it's only two, two verses. Settle no more and enjoy me, God says. When God says praise me, He's saying enjoy me. Settle no more and enjoy me. That means we're, we're more concerned about walking with Christ than my health, wealth, and prosperity. I think these guys are going to have a long, hard day on the last day. I don't have any doubt about it. I don't have any doubt about it. The true disciple knows that discipleship is worth it, even if we have to forego health, wealth, and prosperity. Right? What, is, what does the New Testament tell us? What does the Bible tell us? And I'm going to, to, John, I'm going to get to Psalm 121 in a minute. He says, sometimes, uh, Jesus says, sometimes my people leave houses. They leave brothers and sisters and fathers and mothers and children and farms. Matthew 19. Sometimes they suffer persecution in prison. Luke 21. Sometimes they're really hated by the world. John 15. And sometimes they persevere and endure. And, 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 but I've commanded them not to grow weary. Revelation chapter 2. The Bible tells us that the true lover of Christ is subject to, you know this, those of you who've read your Bibles, we're subject to all manner of affliction and hardship, distress, trials, difficulties, rejection, poverty, loss, pain, sorrow, sickness, tribulations, dangers, and martyrdom. So if all that's true, we know it's true. Because some of us have already experienced these things. Why is the Bible talking like uh, this if God has said, I'm for you? And I'm going to make one more point before I get into Psalm 121. And I want you to hear me. 
Why is the Bible talking like this if God has said that He is for us and that He rejoices in doing us good? It's because our definition of good is not the same as God's definition of good. We're back to health, wealth, and prosperity. Sometimes we think so small that that's our definition. That's never God's definition. You know, He loves you too much, right? To be overly concerned about your health, wealth, and prosperity. He's mostly concerned about your conformity with His Son. Romans 8, what is that? 8, 8 29. That's where He's headed with you. Oneness and conformity with the Son of God. That's where He's taking you. Why did I get the, the, why did the doctor use the C word? Because God's taking you there. God's in this. This is not bad luck. God is doing something. And I've shared this with you before, and I'll share it with you many times because I love it. Again, it's C.S. Lewis. God's love is something more stern and splendid than mere kindness. Right? God will take endless trouble and doubtless give endless trouble to those He loves. He's going to bring you into conformity with His Son. That's the promise. Don't you want it? Don't you want all of it? Don't you want all of that? You know, I've had people confess to me, oh, you know, yeah, I want to be saved, but, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't want to be bothered. I mean, in effect, is what they're saying. <laughs> Man, I, Lord Jesus, come and bother me all you want. Right? If I need to be bothered, I want to be bothered. I don't want to be living some delusion in my own mind. You know that we know Malachi 3.3. God, God, God uh, takes us through the fire to bring us out as fine silver. He presses down hard on the clay, Romans 9. God is faithful. He, his definition of good is very often different from our own. Can I say it this way? If there's trouble in your life, it's God's goodness if you're a Christian. If there's trouble in your life, it's God's goodness. And you desperately need whatever He's doing. You desperately need that. And you're going you're gonna to praise Him for that. You get on the other side and all there will be is praise. And you get in heaven and you look back and you say, Oh, that's what you were doing. That was great. Thank you for loving me like that. Thank you that you, don't, you just don't treat me like some spoiled child and some overindulgent parent. How embarrassing is that, that, that much of the culture has boiled Christianity down to that? It's just embarrassing. I mean, really. It's absolutely embarrassing. One Christian author says, You have to thank God for the seemingly good and the seemingly bad because really you don't know the difference. The hard things in life... Give us more of God. So I, I said all of that to say this. We don't really know what's going on in the psalmist's life. The, 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 this guy that writes Psalm 121. We really don't know, but it really doesn't matter. These are details. Fat day, lean day, right? Blessing, trial. It, it's beside the point. He's just going to praise God for being his helper and his keeper and his guard. Amen? On the good day, he's my keeper. On the bad day, he's my keeper. 
He's always my keeper. He's never not my keeper. So, no matter the conditions, the situations, the settings, the environment, the surroundings, the context, the general state of affairs, the Christian's life is always and ultimately a testimony to the truth of Psalm 121. So yes, long introduction, but it's a very short psalm. So here we are. God is going to tell us six times in Psalm 121 that I keep my people. Right? It's what he told me to do. Tell them again, I keep my people. You don't have to be afraid. You don't have to fear. I've got my hand on you and nothing can touch you that I have not, that I have not allowed for my glory and your ultimate joy. You say, well, Jim, it doesn't feel like joy, but it's coming. The joy's coming. Okay? You know, Christianity's not just a feeling. Sometimes it's believing, even when you don't. Feel it. Verse 1, Psalm 121. I will lift my eyes to the mountains. From where shall my help, there's the first one, come. I'm reading from the NAS, New American Standard. Why is he looking to the mountains? Most conservative theologians agree he's looking to Mount Zion or Mount Moriah. He's looking toward Jerusalem. The city of God. It's just a poetic way to say that the psalmist is looking to a faithful God who is wholly committed to his people. And the psalmist asked the rhetorical question, from where shall my help come? Well, he knows exactly where it's going to come from, right? Just like you. You know where your help's going to come. Verse 2, my help where? You heard Joe read the text. My help comes from Yahweh. Okay? Yeah. Then he says, who made heaven and earth. Now, if you didn't hear last week's sermon, you, you got to, you know, I hate to have a commercial here for my own sermon. But it's like, we talked about his power, right? And it's just unfathomable. The, the data, the, the, the data, the data are unfathomable. He is doing exactly what he wants to do in your life, and don't you ever doubt it. You know, I think we saw that in, in, in was it in, I think it was in Isaiah somewhere, right? He's holding the stars and he doesn't lose one by the strength of his power. And he's not going to let some stray, shall we say, problem enter into your life, right? If the trouble's here, God's here. And this is something that I'll, obviously all mature Christians understand. The psalmist knows where his help comes from, so I'll just ask you, do you know? And I, I think uh, we have such a small group here uh, this morning. I'm sure all of you do. We can't settle, you know, for conformity with the world anymore. We're free to follow Jesus, whatever that looks like, no matter how we're critiqued and criticized. doesn't matter. We can't be blown over in the trial because we trust our helper. We can do radical obedience and hard providence. 
radical obedience and hard providence. We can do it. Why? Yahweh's my helper. Yahweh is my helper. Our God says, I am. His name is Yahweh. He's also called El Shaddai. He's also called Jehovah Jireh. What does Jehovah Jireh mean? Anybody know? Ultimately, it means I'll see to it. God says, God says, I'll see to it. You know, when Abraham was going to offer Isaac and the, the ram was there, and Abraham calls, calls him Jehovah Jireh, the God who sees to it, right? Don't you love that? The God, our, our God, his name is, I'll see to it. Shame on us, really. You know, when we have those moments, and we're all human beings. We struggle sometimes with these moments. We just have to learn to preach to ourselves. We just have to learn to get in the Word. Go, you know, I had a young woman with some issues, and, and I said, listen, just go memorize 121. Just go memorize that. And she had communicated that it was a substantial help for her. You know, it was that great song sung by Chris Tomlin, You Do All Things Well. You know, he, he, in that song he says, he calls, he calls Yahweh the star creator and the mountain maker and the ocean tamer. <laughs> and you're afraid? Why are you afraid? Satan's got you right where he wants you if you're afraid. God says, don't fear. Our God is clear about this. God breathed out the heavens and the earth. Verse 2, He is, as we talked about last week, the one septillion star God. We don't have to fear. And of course, if we're called to it, we can and we will. As the New Testament says, leave houses, brothers, sisters, fathers, mothers, children, and farms. We'll suffer being hated and persecuted, and we'll persevere and endure and not grow weary. Why? Because our God is committed to us. He is our helper, Psalm 121. He is our guard. He is our protector. I'm Batman, and so are you. If you're in Christ this morning. Verses 3 and 4. Look at this. He will not allow it. He will not allow your foot to slip. Omnipotent, invincible. God says, I will not allow it. He who keeps you will not slumber. Verses 3 and 4, first two occurrences of the word translated keep. The psalmist is going to use this Hebrew word six times in, in the Psalms. In my Bible, the New American Standard, it's translated keep four times, protect once, and guard once. The psalmist says, I can follow God. Yeah, I can follow this God. He's my keeper, my protector. And my guard. The first phrase here in verse 3 holds huge biblical significance. God will not allow his child's foot to slip. Um, it's like Jeremiah 32 1 mentioned. God has put the fear of him in our hearts, and we will not slip away from being, you know, from, from not fearing God. What is the beginning of wisdom? Fearing God. If you don't fear God, you have no wisdom, there's no hope in your life. You're going to end up in ditch after ditch after ditch after ditch. You know, 
It's like you meet these folks sometimes and they just can't ever get out of the ditch. And, and, and you know, the counsel is, well, you, are you fearing God? I mean, down in the minutia? Is God honored in the minutia of your life? If you're always in a ditch, you've got to look in the mirror. Really. And I know hard times fall on each of us at times. The psalmist is not talking about physical falling here. He's talking about spiritual falling. In the most famous sermon ever preached, apart from the sermons that Jesus and the disciples preached in Scripture, Jonathan Edwards, July 8, 1741, in Connecticut, Enfield, Connecticut, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. Deuteronomy 32, 35 was his text, which reads, Vengeance is mine, says the Lord, and retribution. In due time their foot will slip. He's talking about unbelievers or pseudo-Christians. In due time their foot will slip, for the day of their calamity is near, and their impending things are hastened upon them. They're impending, they're coming, and they will hasten upon them. But God says, my people's foot will never slip. I'm holding them. I put the fear of me in them. They're never going to walk away from me. If they're really mine, they don't walk away. And we know people walk away from the church all the time. What does that actually tell us? They never were of us. It was all a charade. People who leave the church of Jesus Christ, they're just people who never actually believed. Not in that eternity-altering way. They never believed. And with vivid, powerful, sobering images, Edwards drives home the point that, 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 that apart from Christ, man is in a precarious position and suddenly and unexpectedly and without warning, man is prone at any moment to slip and fall into hell. In due time, the pseudo-Christian, Edwards calls him, the, Edwards doesn't use that term pseudo-Christian, he uses the word gospel sinner. You know, the, one, the, the man or woman who's gospel-saturated, but they still live like the world. They know all the right things. They've heard all the right texts. They know what to say if you ask them a question, but they're still living like the world. And Edwards calls those folks gospel sinners. He said they will suddenly fall into damnation. But not the Christian. Your foot will never slip. I won't allow it, Yahweh says. I will not allow it. Isn't that, a, isn't that an encouragement, beloved? Isn't that an encouragement? You remember that old song? We should have sung it this morning, but the PowerPoint had already been done. And, you know, you remember that old song, How Firm a Foundation? You guys, you, guys, you guys ever sing that song? We'll have to sing it sometime here. How firm a foundation, ye saints of the Lord, is laid for you in your excellent faith. What more could he say than to you he has said, to you who for refuge to Jesus has fled, I will never allow your foot to slip into hell. Not my people. Not my people. You don't have to be afraid of hell. Do you believe him? I trust that you have that assurance in your heart this morning. I trust that you do. 
The star creator, mountain maker, ocean tamer, God holds us. The psalmist says, my helper and my keeper. you got to love this. Verses 3 and 4. Will never slumber or sleep. I couldn't help but think of, you guys know the famous account over in uh, 1 Kings 18 with Elijah. and the, the, the 450 priests were, you know, they were thrashing about and cutting themselves and bleeding and crying out to, to Baal. And Elijah said, well, maybe he's asleep. Maybe he's asleep. And he needs to be awakened. <laughs> you guys know what happened. Uh, they did that for hours. And then Elijah just simply prayed to the Lord and fire fell from heaven. And you remember, the, you remember the confession of the people. Yahweh, He is Lord. Yahweh, He is God. Amen? Just a little sidebar there. But our God is no pretender. He's not preoccupied. He's not meditating. He's not on vacation. He, he's not sleeping. He's proactive. He's not just sitting around waiting for us to cry out to Him to help us. He's helping us. He's helping us. He's proactively helping us. He doesn't sleep nor slumber. He gives to His beloved even in His sleep. I, I remember I was on a business trip, Psalm 127, and I was under all kinds of stress, man. And things were going bad in the business and in my family. It was just really bad. And, and, and I was kind of in a mess, you know. And uh, I read Psalm 127. The Lord gives to His beloved even in His sleep. So I slept like a baby, right? Slept like a baby that night. It all still hit the fan. <laughs> but you know, God's with me. <laughs> and He magnified Himself in that. And only really after years later did I see all the, the things that He was doing. And I'm sure I haven't seen them all still today. But the never sleeping God gives to His children while we're asleep. You've got to love it. And then there's that Psalm 4, 8. Uh, David says, in peace I will lie down and sleep. Why? Because he never does. God never takes a break. He's always on duty. God is always God. Verses 5 and 6. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun will not smite you by day, nor the moon by night. Night, the Lord is your keeper. This is the third time God has said this in Psalm 121. Are you getting God's intent for you here? Are you getting God's intent? You're supposed to believe this and live this. God's your helper. Oh, well, I can't do that thing. It makes me a little uncomfortable. I can't serve in that way at the church. Or I can't go do this kind of ministry. Or I can't help these people. That's just always wrong. Now, God may be leading you to do something else, but we're always, we are always supposed to have our hands on it, right? We're all supposed to, always supposed to put our hands to it. And God says, I'll help you. I'm right here. I'll help you. We not only can be, we will be disciples in the world. He is for us. <laughs> he is for us. When I read that first phrase there in, in verse 5, some of you are going to be familiar with this. My mind went to number 6. You know number 6. 
Um, 24 and 25. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up His countenance on you and give you peace. How many of you used to sing this in the church? Did any of you ever used to sing this in the church? Like a thousand years ago, when I was a little boy, right, our, our old Baptist church, every, every time we, we, we closed the, 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 the worship service, we sang this. And it was like, God's your helper, God's your keeper, until we gather again, right? I always remember that. I mean, obviously I was unconverted at that point, but I still remember that, that claiming that promise, how the congregation claimed that promise as we adjourned. God says, I'll be your shade. What, what's that mean? Well, we can't maybe postulate one thing in Middle Eastern climes. We know the sun can injure or kill. God says, I'm your protection. I am your protection. We see this allusion to the fact that God is a 24-7 keeper by day and by night, verse 6. By day and by night. Again, He never takes a break. Verse 7 and 8. The Lord will protect you from all evil. Well, then why, why did the doctor say cancer? Why did he say cancer? Well, I've already covered this, and we'll cover it some more. But why is there cancer in my life? Why is there this disease or that disease? Why is there family turmoil? Why do I have this giant problem at work? Verse 7, the Lord will protect you from all evil and will keep your soul. Now there's a big clue. We'll go ahead and read it. Verse 8, and the Lord will guard your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. It's like, it's like, come on, man. It's like... We just have complete license here, you know, to, to, to live without concern, to be free. By the way, this is the fourth, fifth, sixth time the Hebrew word uh, for keep is used. It's translated protect and keep in verse 7 and guard in verse 8 in my Bible, the New American Standard. So I just want to ask you, are you hearing God? Are you hearing God this morning? He's relentlessly making this point, right? You're supposed to hear this. You're supposed to be set free. <laughs> you know, we're supposed to believe this in an eternity-altering way. But if we're believing in an eternity-altering way, it will alter Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. I'm not happy about the cancer, but I'm happy in God. He's going to protect me from all evil. He is my protector. So, what is the psalmist, what is the Holy Spirit communicating to us here about all evil? Biblically, we understand there's no guarantee against what is called temporal evil. Stephen was stoned. Every disciple but John was, was martyred. Paul was beaten numerous times and ultimately beheaded. The men and women of faith in Hebrews 11 were mocked, stoned, scourged, put to death by the sword, and sawn in two. So what are we talking about? What are we talking about? 
We have to understand, we mentioned it earlier, we have to understand God's definition of good. <laughs> right? It's not your definition. It's not your normal definition. It's not what most of us would think off the top of our heads. Yahweh is so awesome, and you know this, He works eternal good from temporal evil. What's the most evil thing that ever happened? You know, the Son of God being nailed to a tree. It was the predestined work of God. Acts chapter, I think, 2, or somewhere in there. It's what God had ordained. The psalmist makes it clear, doesn't he? He's talking about He's talking about the evil that can claim the soul, right? And I, I know when you, when you get to heaven and you go talk to Stephen about that stoning thing, you, you think he's going to be complaining about it? He was the first martyr. And I, we've talked about it many times. None of us are going to be martyred, most likely. I mean, it would be, be phenomenal if any of us were ever martyred. You think Stephen would change any of it? You think any of those disciples would change any of that? You think Paul would change anything? No! Because in the evil, God is working good. And He's protecting you from the evil that matters, the evil that sends you to hell. He's protecting you from that. He's prote he actually calls it here, He says, the Lord protects you from all evil. And how does He define that? The very next phrase, He keeps your soul. That's what it's about. That's what it's always about. Let's not have some silly, stupid, humanistic definition of what good is. God defines good for me, right? God defines good for me. You know, I don't bring my worldly views to, to, to what God's doing in my life. That's, an, that's, that's embarrassing, really, <laughs> you know, for, for a Christian to do that. Verse 7, I'll keep your soul, he says. You know, over in John 10, Jesus says, no one can snatch them out of my hand. Oh, you got cancer? Okay, you're still in my hand. And you know what? I may heal you, and I may bring you to myself, because precious in the sight of God is the death of His godly ones. That's not your business. It's not your business. That's my business. Your business is to rejoice and be glad. And make much of me. And listen, for some of us, it takes a lot of prayer, right? We got to get, you know, we got to get all this. We got to get the, 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 the reflection in the mirror out of our minds and out of our hearts. We're here for a few moments to make much of Yahweh. The Holy Spirit says, not, not, No one or no thing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. I looked it up in Romans 8 just a few minutes ago. He says, Not tribulation, not distress, not persecution, not famine, uh, not peril, uh, not sword. And listen how, the, the, listen how Paul writes it. For your sake we are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. If we're slaughtered, it's a detail. <laughs> it's a detail. And when you get to heaven, you wouldn't want to change it. Because then you'll have a deep understanding of what real good is. Paul continues there in Romans 8. But in these things we are 
overwhelmingly, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loves us. If he brings the martyrdom, we know he loves us and we're still conquerors. Listen, man, this is just license. You know, this is license to live life absolutely free without any fear. As Christians, we may suffer greatly in this life, but we will never die the second death. Amen? We will never die the second death. You know Revelation 26, Blessed and holy is the one who has a part in the first resurrection. Over these the second death has no power. I think this is a reference to uh, of, of what's being said here in Psalm 121. I will keep your soul. If you have cancer, you have cancer. I'm working in that too. But I'm going to keep your soul. And then verse 8 is just a poetic way to develop verse 7. The Holy Spirit says, In your birth, in your aging, in your flesh, in your spirit, in your goings, in your comings, in your private affairs, in your public affairs, in your beginnings, in your endings, in your life, and in your death, in time and through all, all eternity, I'm your guard. You know, here's the thing. I don't think we ever think about this. Most of us don't. It's like, once we're there, we can never not be there. After a billion eternities, he's still holding us, right? <laughs> I mean, it's just so big. It's just so sad. It's so sad how humdrum it is in many churches, you know. And, and, we, and we boil it down to health, wealth, and prosperity again. It's just embarrassing. It's just embarrassing. The psalmist says, our guardian God is our keeper, our protector, and it's forever, meaning everlastingly, perpetually, always, and for an infinite and unending future. I'm going to close with one of the uh, verses I shared with you last week. Brad loves this verse. I think it was a verse that the Lord used in Brad's life to get him off the seminary. Isaiah 43, 1 and 3. But now, says the Lord your Creator... Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. I put that on my mother's tombstone. Right? <laughs> you are mine! Exclamation point. I don't know what, if you got one in your Bible, I'm sure you do. Exclamation point, you're mine. What does it mean when an omnipotent being uses an exclamation point? I think it means a lot. <laughs> When you pass through the waters, I'll be with you, and through the rivers, they will not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be scorched, nor will the flame burn you, for I am the Lord, your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. If the one septillion God is for us, septillion star God, if the one septillion star God is for us, who could possibly be against us? Let's pray together.